I'm also really excited about our current sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, this is uh, uh, from, the, uh, from the Old Testament and uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 20. And many of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments because uh, if you grew up in the church or if you've been in church for any given period of time, uh, you've heard about them, maybe you've memorized them, but the reality is many of us forget them. Or uh, I can name like six or seven out of the ten. I don't know what order they go in, but who cares? But God cares because this is God's Word. And God's Word transcends our age, our life stage, every culture, every language, uh, every century. God's Word is relevant, sufficient, and applicable to us today, just as much as it was yesterday, and just as much as it will be tomorrow. And so as we go through this series, I want to teach every week on one of the commands, but at the same time, I'd like for us to memorize or for some of us to re-memorize these Ten Commandments. And so we're going to be looking at them every week, and I hope by the end of this series we'll have a, a lot more familiarity behind them. But if you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, we will read this together. And it begins this, this way, and God spoke all these words. This is God speaking. This is not anyone else in behalf of God, but this is God speaking directly to his people. And this is what God says. I am the Lord, your God. I am not your counselor. I am not your therapist. I am not your BFF. I am not an advisor or uh, uh, one of the people in your counsel. I am not your attorney or your legal advice. I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse seven, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And this is the third commandment that we'll be looking at today. So real quickly, let's do this. First commandment is what? No other gods. Say it with me. No other gods. Come on, let's do it again. No other gods, okay? Second commandment, No idols for worship, all right? No other gods before me. Don't make any idols. And the third commandment, which we just read, is do not misuse his name. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Who knows number four by any chance? Anybody? All right? You don't, do you? So come back next week. We'll talk about it. All right? And every week we're going to go through this list, and we're going to do this every week. And I know it might sound basic and elementary, but I really want us to write the words of Scripture upon our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come uh, together on this beautiful morning to give you praise, glory, and honor because that is what you deserve. And yet, Father, as we come into this place, we might come distracted. Uh, We might be tired or exhausted. Uh, We might be filled with doubts or skepticism or apathy, or maybe we're hungover. Lord, we're all here because you want us here. And so now, would you have your way with us? Would you speak into each one of our hearts, into our lives? Because, Lord, we know that your word carries weight. We know that your word is truth. We know that your word is life. 
And so as we receive your word this morning, Father, wake us up from our sin. Wake us up from our sleep. Wake us up so that we might receive the fullness of who you are and all that you offer to us. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. You know, the first responsibility of every parent when they find out they're going to become a parent is to name their child. All right? And uh, uh, it's not as easy as it sounds to name your child. Maybe some of you already have a list. Oh, if I have a boy, this is what I'm going to name him. Or, or if I have a girl, this is going to be her name. Uh, but it's not that easy. I mean, there are all kinds of websites that parents and, and, and expecting parents go to, and they look at the top 100 names and what are the most used names of last year so that my name can be different or it can be unique. And, you know, there are websites and there are books. Go to the library, go to Barnes and Noble, and there are all kinds of books on names and what the names mean and the origin and the etymology. Uh, We consult our friends. We consult our family. uh, And then you've got two parents who might not be on the same page. Oh, this is the name I like. No, but this is the name I like. And and you're having a hard time. And, And after all that hard work, parents can still go to the hospital when the, the mother is in labor and still not know their name, the name of their child, and not be sure what is his or her name going to be. It's a very difficult, stressful task. Um, it was stressful for Esther and I when we had our children. I have three boys, as some of you may know, and uh, when we found out we were going to have our first child, we found out that he was going to be a boy. One of the names that... Uh, I wanted to use was based on a fictitious character in a movie that I really like. One of my favorite movies, Gladiator. And in Gladiator, the primary character, played by Russell Crowe, his name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. So I wanted to name my firstborn child Maximus Decimus Meridius Lee. And my wife just looked at me and was like, you crazy, get out of here, you know? So she shot that down and we ended up giving our first child's name Nathan. Then uh, a couple of years later, uh, we had another child, and we went through the whole process again. Oh, what do you like? What do I like? And, you know, Maximus? No, that got shot down. (laughs) So this time I said, okay, let's try something that might have a little bit more staying power. Uh, You know, I'm a big fan of Bruce Lee, and his son's name was Brandon Lee, and my last name is Lee. So what if we name? I I didn't want to call him Bruce, because then he'd be made fun of. But what about Brandon? Let's name him Brandon Lee. And my wife was like, I don't know. I don't like that name. Got shot down again. We ended up giving our second child's name the name Jacob. Five years later, we're having our third child. And by this time, I've planted seeds. And the names that I've suggested have now started to bear fruit. And so as we talk about naming our third child, my wife finally gives in. And she says, okay, let's name our third child Brandon Max Lee. And that is his name, Brandon Max Lee. That's where we came up with his name. And that is a a right, a privilege, a responsibility that every parent is given. It's a God-given authority. We get to name our children. See, none of us named ourselves. We were born with a name. Some of you are like, oh, no, I gave my name. I named myself Grace when I immigrated when I was seven. But that's the English name that you gave yourself. You were born with another name. None of us name ourselves. We're given names. When uh, God came to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, he says, I want you to rule the earth 
And I want your first responsibility to be, other than playing in the garden and frolicking around in the woods, I want you to name all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. And sometimes I imagine what that was like for Adam. If I was Adam, I'm sitting there hanging out, just enjoying the garden, eating apples and grapes, and God comes to me and says, Adam, Adam, here, I want you to go and I want you to name everything. And I'd be so excited. Oh, I get to name. God, you sure I get to name? Are you going to veto my names? God is saying, no, I want you to name it all. Go name it. Okay, all right. So I can imagine Adam on the first day going, you, you are hippopotamus. And you are saber-toothed tiger. And you will be called chimpanzee, and your cousin will be orangutan, and your cousin will be bonobo, and just going around and giving all of these fantastic names. And then two weeks later, he's still working on names, but now he's tired and exhausted, and it's getting monotonous. Dog, cat, bird, (laughs) fly, bee, ant, right? I mean, he goes from these long, magnificent names, but uh, it's the privilege and the authority of naming things. And yet there is one name, one person, one being who gave himself a name. In fact, we would not know his name had he not revealed it to us. And that is God. No one ever named God. No one ever said, the thing I worship shall be called God or Lord or Christ or what? No, God revealed himself to us before he revealed his name. They called him the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But then in Exodus 3, God reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush. And he says, my name is I am who I am. I will be who I will always be. And Moses is like, say that again? I think I missed it there. Uh, I am who I am. I will be who I always will be. And Moses is like, "Uh, say that again? Uh, No, literally, that word that God gave as his name was the word Yahweh. It was the name Yahweh. And every time we come to the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, and we read the word Lord, and all four letters are capitalized, it's the English translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, which means I am who I am, which tells us that God always was, that he's self-sufficient, that he is self-existent, and that he has supreme sovereign authority over himself and over everything else because he revealed his name to us as being I am who I am. You see, in our culture, names are just labels now. But for the Hebrews, the names carried more weight. Let's look at this uh, commandment, the third commandment once again. God says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Again there, we see it in four capital letters. So God is saying, and you got to notice there's a subtle shift here. In the first commandment, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Second command, you shall not make any idols, any graven images. And then in the third commandment, he goes from speaking in the first person, and now he's speaking in the third person. He should have said, if he was consistent in his language, you shall not misuse my name. No other gods before me. No no idols uh, to worship me. 
and, and don't misuse my name. But now he says, don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. He's speaking in third person because he wants to bring attention to his name. Because for God, his name is not just a label. For God, his name is his identity, but it's also his reputation. Do you understand that? God's name is not just a label. It's not just something that you tag on. It describes who he is, what he's done, and what he always will be. God's name also reflects his reputation and his character, his attributes. We read about it in the Psalms. David says, O Lord, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Is he literally saying, you've got a great name, God. God, you've got an awesome name. I love your name. No, what he's saying is, of all the things in creation, your name, you, you yourself, God, are the most majestic thing. You are ultimate God. Another psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 106. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles, referring to God. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet, but, however, God, you, he saved them for his name's sake to make his mighty power known. In other words, the psalmist is saying God's name means that he will forgive his people, that he will redeem his people, that he will rescue his people because he did all of those things for his name's sake, to uphold his reputation, his glory, his honor, his identity. Do you understand the significance of his name? It's not just a name anymore. It's so much more than that. It's his character. It's his identity. And this is what we have to pay attention to if we are to truly understand the third commandment, the third commandment which, which says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now, what that really means technically is don't use the, word, the Lord's name in vain. That's what some translations say. Or what does it mean to use his name in vain? It means don't use God's name carelessly. Don't use it flippantly. Don't use it mindlessly. Don't use it in a way that it carries no honor or no glory or no reverence or no awe. Don't use it in that way. Because at that time, people would say, in in a court of law, they would say, I'm telling the truth in God's name. They would use his name, they would testify his name to validate what they were saying. But this commandment is saying, don't ever use his name in a way that is without honor and reverence and awe. And then it says, the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. It kind of comes with a warning there, all right? If you misuse the name of the Lord your God, he's not going to hold you guiltless. Now, what does that mean? What, what is the punishment? It's, it's uh, so uh, generic there. It, it, it's kind of uh, understated. It's kind of like somebody says, uh, you shouldn't do that, or I wouldn't do that if I were you. What does that expression mean? That means if you do that, there will be consequences to your actions. 
Like one of uh, my favorite comedians once said, he was talking about his father and his relationship, and whenever he did something wrong, his father would always say, somebody's going to get a hurt real bad, right? Like God is saying the same thing. If you misuse my name, somebody's going to get hurt real bad. Somebody's going to, no one's going to get hurt guiltless. You will be guilty. And there's a story in Leviticus 24 about a man who misuses the name of God. And this is an example of the, of the punishment that, come, that came upon one person as he misused God's name. In Leviticus 24.10, it says, Now the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father, all right, so he's an interracial man, went out among the Israelites, and a fight broke out in the camp between him and an Israelite. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name with a curse, capital N, referring to Yahweh. So they brought him to Moses. Oh, he misused the name of God. We've got to take him to Moses. Moses, they put him in custody until the will of the Lord, Yahweh, should be made clear to them. Then Yahweh said to Moses, take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head and the entire assembly is to stone him. Wow. Wow. That sounds pretty serious. Why so serious? Right? Because God's name is not just a name. It is his reputation. It is his honor. It is his glory. And God must uphold his honor and his reputation. And to misuse the name of God is a direct attack, a direct assault on the glory of God, on the person of God. And so that is what the command is telling us. Don't use this name carelessly. But at the same time, even though it's kind of put in a negative way, there's also a positive side to it. It's not only do not misuse the name of the Lord, but it's also meaning or implied, use it properly, okay? If the command is don't use it improperly, then the command is also saying in another way, make sure you use it when you use it properly, honorably, reverently, with awe, gloriously. Use his name in praise. Use it in blessing. Use it in celebration. And we see many instances in the scriptures. Uh, Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? That means, Lord, what does, what does it mean to hallow a name? It means to set that name apart for something sacred, to make it holy. And so Jesus is saying when you pray and you use the name of God, make sure you use it in a holy, sacred way. We see it in the Psalms in, in chapter 29. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. In 66, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. In 72, praise be to the Lord God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. So the command is not just to say, don't misuse the name, but when you use it, use it to praise and honor and lift him on high. We sing that song, Lord, I lift your name on high. What does that mean? God, take your name and I put it up on the shelf? No. It means I'm honoring not your name, but who you are. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. When we sing that song, we're, we're not just saying, God, you've got a great name and bless your name. No, we're saying your name is your character. It is your identity. It is your reputation. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Do you get the commandment now? When we speak and we use or refer to the name of God or the name of Jesus or the Holy Spirit, we must not do so carelessly in vain. It must be to his honor and to his glory. Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And this is where I want to apply this commandment to our lives. Okay, I don't go around, you know, using, you know, bad words, you know, with God. Or, and this is not a sermon about profanity. I'm not going to go off in that tangent. Or, you know, this is a sermon about the third commandment, okay? It doesn't say don't swear, don't profane. No, it just says don't misuse the name of God. But let me apply subtle ways in which we do that. We break the third commandment when we don't live out our calling. And what is our calling? It is to be what? to be a Christ follower, or in other words, a Christian or a disciple of Christ. In other words, the way to get saved is to do what? To call on the name of Jesus. So we're saved by calling on his name, and then when we're baptized, we're baptized in the name of God the Father, in the name of Jesus the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. So as people of God, we wear the name of God. And so whatever we do, whether in word or in deed, we are representing the name that we wear. The name of God, the name of Christ Jesus. That's why we call ourselves Christians, because we are Christ followers. So let me ask you this. Is the way you live a representation of the glory of God? Is the language you use honoring to the name in which you wear? Are the words that come out of your mouth words of praise, glory, and honor? If people were to find out that you belong to God, that you were a Christian, would they be able to affirm it? Well, you never told me, but I could tell all along. Or would they be completely in shock? Oh my God, you are what? You go to church? You had me fooled? And when that is the way our lives are lived and reflected, we are misusing the name by calling ourselves something we are not. We are denigrating the glory of God by affiliating ourselves with a holy, awesome, righteous God and yet living lives that are anything but... And our language, Jesus said uh, to the, his audience, he says, uh, they praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I wonder how fitting that might be in so many churches today where people gather on the weekends, on Sundays, or on Wednesdays, or on Fridays, or whenever they get together for worship, for study, for fellowship, for, uh, uh, for community or communion, or whatever they might do, and they're praising the name of God and Jesus with their lips. But their hearts are not in tune with their voices. 
That is one subtle but very common way we misuse the name of God. When we come to church and we sing these awesome songs, these great, I love the songs that we sing. They, they lift my soul. They help me to ascribe to God words and emotions and feelings that I only want to give to him. But when we come to church without a sense of reverence and awe, and we gather together and we're apathetic, and we could care less what we're singing and how we're singing it, we are, in fact, misusing his name. When we pray prayers and we end, I pray this in the name of Jesus, and yet that prayer is shallow. It's just Christian language that comes out when you squeeze somebody who's been in church for a long time. That is misusing the name of God, the name of Christ. When we're reading the words of Scripture and we're reading about who God is and what he's done and how he's revealed himself to us, and yet we do not allow that word to change the way we live or change the way we think or penetrate our hearts and minds, we are misusing the name of the Lord. We are not giving God the glory that is due to his name. And God is trying to establish with his people not just his name, but his identity and his reputation. These are not the ten suggestions. These are not ten good words of advice. These are the ten commandments. And when you boil it down to two commandments, it's love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And we'll look at those commands uh, from 6 through 10. But the first four commands are about what? About what it means to love the Lord your God, Yahweh, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Worship him alone and worship him correctly. Don't worship him through anything else. Go to him, be intimate with him. And every time you utter his name, every time you pray, every time you praise, every time you get together to study his word that reveals himself, do it in a way that honors him because you love him. Uh, many of you know that I'm a big fan of, of, of Apple. Uh, I, I, all my computer, my, my technology, I, I mean, I've got all the gadgets. It's my weakness. It's my guilty pleasure. I admit it. Okay, I'm materialistic. I'm a sinner. I, I spent too much money on Apple products. Okay, I got that out there. All right, forgive me. But the thing is, I not only like having the products, but I try to convince everybody I know that they should like them too. Have you ever met people like that? Oh, yeah, check out my iPhone. Look, look at what it did. It can do this. It can do this. It's better than that. You know, it's got all these new cool things and, you know, my iPad, you know, Apple TV, whatever. They're always trying to show you why their thing is better than yours. And it's pretty easy to do. I'm, I'm just saying, right? <laughs> But I do that. I'm like an Apple. I'm a Mac evangelist. But let me tell you a secret. Let me tell you a secret. I don't get a penny. I don't get a dime. I don't get any commission. When I tell somebody that the iPhone is the phone and they go and buy an iPhone, I don't get anything for that. I don't get any money if I convince somebody to buy a Mac instead of a PC. I, I, don't, I don't get paid. To, I don't get recognized. I don't have a, a T-shirt that says, Mac evangelist, yeah. You know, I don't go to any, I, I don't get any perks or benefits. No one pays me to talk so lovingly about Apple. But why do I do that? Why do I speak in that way? Because I believe in it. 
I believe in their product. And I know this sounds kind of uh, shallow and vain, but let's just, go on. it's an illustration here, okay? I, I believe in their product line. And I know that if I purchase something that they make, I can count on it to do what I want it to do. And because I believe in it, I'll tell everyone about it. I won't go around and say, oh, I, this is such a great thing, but you shouldn't buy it because it sucks. Oh, this is a piece of crap. I'm going to kick it around. I'm not going to keep my screen clean. If I were to treat all my products that way and you looked at me, you'd say, oh, you obviously don't really care about that, do you? But isn't that kind of how we treat the name of God? We don't keep it pure from our lips in our lives. We don't go around wearing the name Christian with pride. If anything, we're probably scared to admit it. As if if we did, all of a sudden we would be the minority. And maybe you are, but if God is who God is and you can never be in the minority, maybe we live dual lives. Maybe that's what it is. We say one thing, we do another. Well, who can believe what we say if what we do contradicts that? And that is the reason why we must obey the third commandment because God is who he says he is and he will be who he will always be. That is his name. Therefore, God is righteous and just and holy and pure and loving. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. And he will never change from those things. And if we believe that, we should honor the name of Christ. Or else, as Jesus says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles in your name? And then Jesus will just tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, Jesus is saying the same thing God was saying in Exodus 20, verse 7. I mean, they're the same person. Do not misuse the name of the Lord, or you will not be guiltless you do. Jesus is saying the same thing. There are a lot of people who are going to use my name in vain. In other words, they're going to say it, but not mean it. They're going to proclaim it, but not do it. They're going to pray it, but not believe it. And those people, as he says, they're not like the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. So on that day when they say, but we prayed, we, we sang praises, we cast out demons in your name. And Jesus will just step back and say, sorry, I don't know you. Because you were misusing my name all along. You weren't loving me first. You were loving yourself and you were using my name to get other people to love you. You, you, were, you were using my name to endorse what you needed to say or what you needed to push, your agenda. People do this all the time. They put the name of God or Jesus on the things that they do or the things that they sell to somehow validate or endorse that what they're doing is good or right. And they, too, are misusing the name of God. And so this is a warning to us, but it's also a command that when we do gather together, 
or whether we are alone and we're praying and reading scripture or worshiping God, that we should do so with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our soul, with all our strength. And so church, today, I want to invite you now, if you haven't done so already, to realize and recognize that God is here. God is in this place. And he did not bring you here to waste your time. He did not bring you here in vain, but God is here and he wants to be worshipped. And so as we continue to worship today, I invite you to surrender, to repent, to confess your sins, to say, God, I am no good. I have misused your name. I have not represented your glory well. And God, because he is faithful to himself, will redeem you and rescue you, just like he did the Israelites who rebelled against God at the Red Sea or in Egypt or before Egypt. And as he's always done and as he always will, because he is a God that will show grace and favor to thousands of generations to those who love him. I invite you, friends, to redeem this time, to make this a true time of worship, making him the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we admit that we fall short of your glory time and time again. And so, Father, that's why we need to hear the gospel every week and every day to remind us that we are weak, that we are broken that we are self-centered, that we're sinners. But that, Lord, you are perfect. You are holy. You are mighty. You are just. You are faithful. You are true. And when we confess your name, we belong to you and you belong to us. And we worship you in spirit and in truth. And so, Lord, we confess the name above every name, the name in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And that is what we desire to do now. That is what we desire to do every day for the rest of our lives. And so, Father, as we come before you, as the people came before you at the mount of the foot, Uh, at the foot of Mount Sinai, as they came in fear and trembling, with reverence and in awe, Lord, may we also, as we come to sing of all that you've done and all that you are, as we continue in our worship, may we come before you with fear and trembling, with reverence and in awe, because you are almighty. You are majestic. You are God. And we worship you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.